Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we'll be discussing conducting Masonic research. As Brother Shaw once said, paraphrasing Churchill, the puzzle of Freemasonry is a riddle wrapped in mystery inside an enigma. It's meant to be confusing. That's kind of the point. One of the strongest emotions I felt when joining the Lodge was the need to understand the history of the fraternity. I felt like I had to discover the history of the fraternity, the meanings of the symbols, and I felt an overwhelming desire to do my own research. The first thing that you will discover when you do so is the lack of any authorised history of Freemasonry or a go-to bullet-pointed list of documents to peruse at your own leisure. It doesn't exist, unfortunately. You have to make your own. And this is the part of the magic of being a speculative mason, as you have to become your own Sherlock Holmes. There are many great books out there that will start you off down the path, but there comes a time when you have to start walking your path by yourself. So how do you go about doing so? One of the great things about the Lodge is that nearly everybody there is doing the same thing. The exchange of ideas and knowledge I have found to be the strongest mortar binding the Lodge together. Every person has their own unique contribution, and together you can make great, great strides forward. When you read reputable books on Freemasonry, because God knows there's a million and one disreputable ones, one of the first things you notice is the amount of original documents and manuscripts referred to, which you would have heard of prior to reading the book. As we have a lodge mentor and Freemasonic author to hand, Brother Earnshaw, please can you enlighten us on how you collated all of your <laughs> reference documents and how you conducted your own Masonic research? What could a newbie do to the, uh, in the field of research to start off on the right or left foot? Where do you go to for your documents? And who or where do you contact? Yes. So, well, I mean, um, my um, research is now four books and it's based on an experience I had um, in a Taoist temple, which I realized uh, was uh, <clears throat> had an initiation which was exactly the same as the first degree of Freemasonry. And that set me off. So I had lots of ideas and uh, leads. But um, I think one of the things I found is the Internet, of course, is just um, really a wonderful trove and um, uh, kind of asset base for us. Um, I use Google Books a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I put a, a phrase in and then I would search for the book. And then so a lot of the books are, are not available for viewing on Google. They're kind of like limited access, but many of the older books um, are available. And the, when you put a, 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 a search word into Google, just that phrase will show up inside the book. It'll open exactly the right page. Mm, so you okay. can read before and after the phrase and get that. You don't have to read all the book you just read five ten pages if it gets interesting you'd read more that's one mm. of the first ways i uh did research second way was um through inspiration and to me that was very very powerful um i know people like uh, einstein say the same thing uh he would study a problem for many hours perhaps many days then he put it aside and go for a walk in the, in the park and on his while he was there or on his return or even when he's having lunch it would suddenly pop into his head exactly what he was thinking about and mm -hmm. i used that system for myself i would read um 
deeply on a certain subject that I wasn't familiar with, or I thought there was something there that was important for me. And I would read and read, and I put it aside and then forget about it. And um, then um, it would come to me, you know, uh, either is a and normally it would actually come to me three o'clock in the morning, which was a little bit uh, annoying. So I would I bought an IC recorder and put it beside my bed because uh, I didn't want to, to lose anything. But that happened a lot. Three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, I understand that. Yep. Yeah, I, it's quite funny when you listen back to anything you do record. Let's say you use your phone and some of the it almost sounds like a, a bizarre bizarre psychedelic <laughs> dream when you describe what you're talking about yes um, yeah uh, but it's, it's worse than trying to read my handwriting at three in the morning you know? true, very true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't make head <laughs> nor tail of that so that's why i gave up writing notes and uh, recording them instead um so that's um i think probably the two main ways for my research i find that research leads to another thing and um mm then when you study a subject in depth, then you start to see the minutiae, uh, little things that mm. stand out. And um, I've prepared um, uh, a, another a paper on um, the pe peculiar system of morality, um, which um, uh, we'll record later. But we keep saying peculiar, Freemason is a peculiar system of morality, etc. We don't think about it. In detail, why is it peculiar? <laughs> what you know? True, so, true. so this sort of thing, when you start to picking picking apart the um, uh, the ritual, you'll see some the words they used uh, are very carefully chosen words. You know, they're not casual. The the uh, first three grand masters, uh, John de Sagulier, Anthony Sayer, and George Payne. They spent eight years um, rewriting the degrees and in, in also uh, inventing a third degree. You know, that's a lot of time just to write three degrees. It's not much, you know, they're not very long, but that's how well they thought about it in depth. And so um, I like to also look at the degrees, look at the words that were chosen and uh, look behind the words and why they were saying this. What was the objective? Always, it's as if they were leaving breadcrumbs for somebody it's like to that. discover. It's like breadcrumbs, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I wondered why busy, busy men would want to rewrite the bylaws of a uh, blue-collar workman's club. You know, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. If you were a professor or a doctor nowadays, would you go down to the docks and offer to rewrite the, the stevedores the bylaws? You know? Let's organize yeah. the stevedores. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. It's like rewrite. It's like, like Prince Harry going to the local wheelwrights club and rewriting yeah. the, 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 the laws there. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. Unless and, so, and, and organizing them into a grand lodge. Work. Why? What's yep. the objective? There had to be an objective. <laughs> and Absolutely. it wasn't to do. And when you look at go back and look at the uh, rituals before 1717 when the the uh, revival of Freemasonry started you look at the older rituals there's nothing in them really it's just nonsense a lot of nonsense there's just no um, overt secrecy 
um, no secret words. There's no no um, Kabbalah or anything like that in it. It's, no. it's, it's just uh, looks like they were just having a good time, a bit of revelry and initiating somebody, making it a little bit diff- um, a little bit difficult for the guy. Uh, so he will remember it. And that's about it, I think. <laughs> I On know. that topic, um, a good starting place is the Constitutions. And there are quite a few different versions of the Constitutions. Is there anyone you would recommend in particular? Well, I mean, the, the 20, uh, 1723 and the 1738, uh, mm-hmm. James Anderson's are the originals. Um any other ones, uh, including um, Washington's, is it Washington's? Yes. Uh, I've got Franklin's as well. Ah, Benjamin Franklin's, Franklin's yes. which is it's yeah. a bit truncated. I would say try and find a London version, I, but you can find yes. facsimile issues online. I th- and there were several in, uh, published in Ireland, but they were just copies of the original, people trying <laughs> to make money off them. So um, I think the original two are the place to start. And even those two constitutions I mean, there's a lot of nonsense in them. You know, when you look at the, what they call the legend of Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. Um, so in um, uh, Taoism, there's this famous uh, story that goes back and it doesn't go back so far. It goes back to 1600s. But it's called the Shi Lu, the story of the mm-hmm. barbarians. And it's the, the, the fall of the Shaolin Temple and uh, the, the 13 monks or 18 monks uh, that were heroes, uh, you know, trying to, to protect the Ming emperor. This is a kind of, of um, a hero story um, for, for Taoism. So I think the Freemasons thought of the same things. We should have a glorious history as well. And they just mm. added everybody. They added Julius Caesar as a past Grand Master. Um, yes, you know, yes. even Jesus Christ was a past grand master. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I it just doesn't was... make sense, you know. And mm-hmm. when you write things like that, people then say, well, the whole thing must be crazy, you know. But it's actually just mm-hmm. bits of it, a little bit strange, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, talking of that Shaolin legend, I'm sure my age now, but I do have a VHS adaptation from a Kung Fu movie of the 13 monks of Shaolin. Oh. Shows you just how old I am. It was on VHS, <laughs> not DVD. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> at least it wasn't Beta Max. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, Beta Max. <laughs> Celluloid. <laughs> yeah. Um, eight millimeter. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, I think um, if you want to research, one of the things you have to be careful of is a lot of Victorians kind of lay down the law. This is what Freemasonry is about. And it's all about um, geometry and morality and things like that. I think it's because Victorians themselves were a very um, moralistic society. They were a very bit prudish and um, they were strict. And this is um, what, how their interpretation was Freemasonry, but I think the original Freemasonry was much more spiritual and uh, much more unique and interesting than we yes. really understand. And, and I think it's important for people to make a distinction between Victorian Freemasonry and the era that gave birth to Freemasonry. They're right. quite distinct. Yes. They are very different 
Right. They weren't wearing suits in the first place. They yeah. Were wearing yeah. Different so, attire, so that's the era I was looking at from 1717 to 1740, 45. Mm -hmm. And um, simple things like the clothes. So we, we can see pictures of them um, in Lodge, uh, one dated 1813, and they were wearing, you know, uh, colorful clothes. And um, uh, the aprons weren't square, they were rounded, you know. And so I think the, the move, particularly in Europe and uh, Britain, to wear dark clothes was introduced uh, after the death of uh, Prince Albert in uh, 1861. Yes. And so I think the court, uh, Victoria wore black, so the whole court wore black, and then it became a tradition for anyone, you know, if you don't follow the court, you know, if you don't follow the royalty and aristocracy, you're nobody. So I think everybody started to be where it's to wear uh, black. And so mm. you really have to look at the history, you know, surrounding Freemasonry to understand what was going on and what their objectives were. Mm. And that's, that's part of the journey. Yes. Well, thank you for that. That's, um, that's some topics to, to get your teeth into. <laughs> and that just about brings this episode to a close. And uh, if you have any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square and we will meet soon. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye.